Ryan is a, a young, he just turned 25. And in the last year, uh, he bought $30 million worth of commercial real estate with uh, kind of no money and no track record just by being super, super clever. He started out, he bought a triplex uh, for 90000 in Cincinnati, saved up some more money, bought a five-unit property. Six months later, he, being an engineer with an engineering background, he calculated it out, reverse engineered the process of how long it was going to take him to become financially free, and it was five years. You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. And when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview, dive deeper, and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, it's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation, and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies, and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations, and these amazing Passive Wealth Principle lessons. Welcome to a special episode of Catching Knives, What I Learned. I started this series or this special episode as a reaction or what I learned from interviewing one of my podcast guests. And this one is specific to the Ryan Stenberg show. Uh, so you're going to hear some things that I'm going to reference from that interview. I'll try to give you context for it, but it is uh, what I've started to do uh, with the key takeaways, uh, at least in my own voice and my ability to concentrate or synthesize down uh, the information that they provided and the little nuggets that I've taken away. So to give you a little bit of background, Ryan is a, a young, he just turned 25. And in the last year, uh, he bought $30 million worth of commercial real estate with uh, kind of no money and no track record, just by being super, super clever. He started out, he bought a triplex uh, for 90000 in Cincinnati, saved up some more money, bought a five-unit property. Six months later, he, being an engineer with an engineering background, he calculated it out, reverse engineered the process of how long it was going to take him to become financially free. And it was five years, six years, something like that. And it was, that was just too slow for him. So what he did is realize that he needed to do bigger deals. So he said, I just need to do million dollar deals. And what happened is he got busy at work. 
uh, it was harder to do million dollar deals than it is to do $90,000 deals. And they didn't do a whole lot of anything for a year, 18 months. And then what happened is they pandemic, the work from home, and he had some more free time to really dive into this, this concept of creating financial freedom. He then took that premise and he does some uh, unique kind of text uh, direct to owners, uh, especially around the, the real estate, commercial real estate owners space. And technology hasn't really even tapped into uh, this side of the market. It's primarily a, an older clientele, a lot of Leadites, a lot of lack of, you know, just today's technology. So what he did is, uh, is he texts these, you know, commercial real estate property owners trying to just find out what the price is. That in itself is, is not too revolutionary, but it was like, what is, what would be uh, super helpful is that I just knew what something was for sale for. They would sell it for $10 million, not whether that was a good deal or a bad deal, just that's the, the exit price in which these property owners would sell their property. As he kind of uh, started reverse engineering that, he was able to find good deals. And this is the big concept, the big aha nugget that I took away from this is that he and some of his friends, uh, one of them was a working or maybe still does work at Amazon. Uh, There's this concept of a one-way and two-way door. So I'm going to break this down. So a one-way door, one-way decision, one-way risk profile is when you make a decision, you can't go back. So you go through this door, you don't like what's on the other side. You don't have the ability to go back through that. Sometimes, you know, you you crack the egg, you take it out, you can't put it back in there. It's it's scrambled, it's broken. There's no way to do that one-way door versus the alternative. And this is where Jeff Bezos and the Amazon team was kind of talking about this is they're looking for a, a profile, an asymmetric risk profile on a deal structure that allows them the ability to go on the other side, make this decision, go on the other side of the door, see if they like it. Does it work out? Are the deal terms correct? Uh, whatever it is, I like the taste of this egg. It's not cracked, you know, whatever that is. And, but if you don't like it, you can go back, you can start over, you can move, you know, you don't sell your house, go rent a house on Airbnb for three months and live in Mexico. You can do that. That costs a certain amount of money. If you don't like it, you can move back to your house from the, from the get-go. That represents a two-way kind of decision, two-way door. And so the way that he structured this and, and text messaging to these commercial real estate owners is that he's like, I'm just trying to get into escrow on commercial real estate deals. So commercial real estate is, let's call it a free option. So a free option, meaning is in real or in the stock market in the equities world, you can buy an option that says at some point in the future, I'll exercise a purchase contract on Tesla stock at $1,000 a share. 
Well, if it's trading below $1,000 a share, you can get that at a discount, but you can pay a price. And you know, if you, you can research options to, to how that works, but there's a cost to it to buy an option. And if it goes up, you can exercise that option and you win this big or have this arbitrage on the delta of the profit. Well, in real estate, and especially commercial real estate, is you structure the escrow going into contract, and then you allow yourself to remove all of these unknowns that you don't know about the deal in that time period while you're in escrow. You've also structured, and why we say it's a free option, is you can put your money in escrow on, let's call it a $5 million commercial building. That $5 million building, you might put down $100,000, $200,000, but you don't lose that $100,000, that $200,000, maybe $50,000, unless you remove your contingencies. And, and the way that you structure a purchase contract and the purchase sale agreement is you need to do inspections. You need to determine that this deal is actually a deal that you want to go through with. So they, what they did is they would tie up or put properties in escrow that they first thought was a decent deal, but then they would remove all of those potential gotchas or you know things that would make it a bad deal into the future and remove them while they were in escrow. So it essentially gave them a free option on a $5 million property. Well, that $5 million property, they did and also structured some things that I thought were super, super clever. They put in their contract the ability to take over the, the listing. I'll give you an example of you know, a property, an industrial property that was losing half of its tenants. The tenants represent the value most of the time in commercial real estate. Whatever that person's paying for a lease is how they effectively value the buildings. Sometimes the building's only worth $10, $50, a square foot. But when there's a tenant in there, what they're paying for that lease, there's a capitalization rate, a percentage of what that rent is generating is what the value of that building will represent. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Look, Two of the most common questions I get asked are, where can I find good deals to invest into? And is it possible to invest alongside of our deals as a passive investor? So my team and I wanted to put together an insider list where you can get first access to investment opportunities, due diligence resources, and best practices for those interested in investing passively into deals like the ones we talk about on the show. Those deals are mostly in the commercial real estate space, but I oftentimes get exclusive access to deals of people like the guests on my show. If those deals pass our criteria, we pass them on to those on the list. To gain access to this insider list, all you have to do is go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. We also host events, dinners, and give away VIP access to events that I'm speaking at or attending. Once again, it's www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. For those that are serious about passive wealth building, we'll see you on the inside. Now, back to the show. 
So when it's losing half its tenants, it's at 50% occupancy, or maybe in in some instance, it's less. They tie up that property for that $5 million and then take over control of the listing agreement. Again, I kind of at the, the start of this was they talk about how technology really hasn't started permeating commercial real estate. And it's typically kind of a lot of brokers that are not hustling that hard. They don't have to, they didn't have to, they put up a sign and the people that are familiar with commercial real estate, this is going to resonate with them. But the extent of their marketing for a listing or for a lease uh, listing is they listed it on LoopNet with maybe a five-year-old photo of the building that they took off of Google Street Images or maybe a Bing, a Microsoft Bing Street image. And then they have some sign that's on the corner of the property. That sign probably got put up there 10 years ago. It's sun faded. There's probably weeds growing over the top of it, but it's got that broker's phone number and it's probably the broker's office number. So the extent of the marketing to try to get a new lease tenant is a dirty, overgrown vegetation sign on the corner of the property and a loop net listing that's been up for five years that's super stale with old, old photos. So what happens is they come in and tie up this property. And again, we're going to use this example of $5 million, take over the listing of that leasing, and then they blast out to the broker community. They take and do some things that are just almost a little bit status quo in the coastal markets, and actually is now even becoming very prominent in the residential world. They give high quality images of the property. They give floor plans. They maybe have a Matterport layout so somebody can virtually walk through the the floor plan. They create professional renders. They have what the space could look like. You know, if it's an industrial property, maybe it's got a certain amount of bays. It has clear heights that uh, are available for warehouse or logistics, but they can clean up and do all of those things. And they send out this blast and use now what is known kind of the SEO, the search engine optimization, but catchy copywriting text messages and send out to the people that potentially could be interested in that property, tenants, brokers, and and the sorts. So in that instance, they buy a property or tie it up for $5 million. It's missing a tenant. They need to solve that tenant issue. What they've also done is the next level of of cleverness is, is went and looked at what a fully stabilized price and asset might be. And so talking to a private equity firm or bigger investment or or maybe a REIT, something along that and said, hey, what if I had a fully stabilized building? And what would you need to give me a certain exit price? And oftentimes you have investment criteria that these firms and these funds are looking for. And so they may say, we're looking for something over 100,000 square feet with a triple net corporate guaranteed lease on industrial space that has more than five years left on the lease. And if so, we can pay a six cap. 
or a six and a half cap or whatever it is for that particular market. And they have a certain criteria. This demographics, this location, this minute, this size, square footage, you know, corporate triple net lease. And so what they're doing is they know what their takeout purchase price potentially could be. So they talk to this private equity group and say, hey, here's this $100,000 or 100,000 square foot building that's missing. If we were able to get it fully leased with a five-year plus lease term, what could we sell it for to you? And they, they might give that say, well, we could give you $20 million. They ask for a forward-looking commitment or a forward commitment, kind of call a letter of intent. If you brought me this type of building that had this NOI, I can pay you a six cap in this market. So now they have what they're trying to do, their exit, who they're going to sell it to, their criteria. They take that back and they've communicated out, hey, lots of people, we have this thing available for a lease. And now they're comparing if there's interest. And so, you know, maybe it's because it's been limited in their in marketing and there's a bunch of pent up demand and people need industrial space and they need a hundred thousand square foot of, of, you know, industrial. They, and what they found in one of the incidences is they had 15 people interested, tenants interested, blowing them up. Oh my gosh, we're interested. We've been looking. Where is this available? Let, let us know. Can we come take a look at it? And then took that lease structure or the, the forward commitment to sell it for $20 million and worked with the tenants and some of those interested buyers say, this is what we need from a lease structure sign a 10-year lease with a triple net corporate guarantee, and then we'll build out your space to your specs. So then they look at that. Tenants say, oh my gosh, you know, yeah, we need this office space or we need this parking or you know, this shipping or this clear span. If you do this X, Y, and Z, we can sign that lease on those terms based on this accordingly. And so now they have a work order that they can take to a contractor, a contractor that, and then they can get bids from multiple contractors and say, here's the work in which I need you to complete for the tenant improvement, the TI for this new tenant, and give me a GMP contract, a GMP, a guaranteed maximum price contract to do this work. And that might be $3 million. So they go and they know it's going to take $3 million to fix up the building to the specs, but they're going to get a 10-year lease out of it. But when they fix it up and they have a 10-year lease and that tenant's in there, they can sell it for $20 million. They also know that there's a guaranteed maximum price TI, and that's $3 million from this contractor. So what they've done while they're in escrow for $50,000 of earnest money that they can still get back if they decide to cancel the deal is they've solved all the potential problems of this deal and are they going to, to lose money? So now they can go to a bank and say, hey, bank, lender, debt fund, here's what I have. I'm buying this building for 5 million bucks. I have a contract uh, to fix it up for eight for 3 million more. So it cost me $8 million. But here's the exit value. Once I do that, it's $20 million. And so I need a loan to fix up this building to buy it and do those other things. Banks typically want you to have some skin in the game, some, uh, you know, 
purchase or, you know, lose if the deal goes bad, but then you basically take and de-risk this from a lender's perspective because you've removed all these barriers of valuation. So they can take that and say, yeah, we agree. That is market value, $20 million. Yes, that is a viable and, you know, contractor that can do it for three million. That seems like a reasonable amount of money. And yes, that is a tenant that does need the hundred thousand square feet of industrial property, X, Y, and Z, and they're willing to sign off on those. And so you know what? We're not going to give you the full eight million dollars, but we'll give you seven million or seven and a half million dollars. So now what you've done is you reversed engineered, okay, here's what I need to do to sell this for $20 million. Once you've now completed each one of those, you go, okay, I need to go raise maybe that half a million dollars. I need to raise $500,000 so I can sell it six months or a year down the road. Essentially taking this commercial deal, this $5 million uh, metaphorical deal that has a $3 million TI that will then I can, you know, somebody can sell for $20 million. It becomes a lot easier to go raise equity from investors when you're like, this is the the steps. This is what I'm going to do. All of that is based on that premise of a two-way door. That decision is that you can go in to it, control this deal, control the listing capabilities, market it to get a new tenant, create the structure that works for a bank, create the structure that works for the tenant, and create the structure for your exit when you want to exit out. I'm using this as an example. You may not want to sell it at the end for the $20 million. Maybe you can refinance it back out. Maybe it's producing so much cash flow when you only have $8 million. That's equivalent of work being a, a $20 million property, but you only have $8 million in costs in it. You may just decide, I want to keep this building. I want to cash flow this. I want to keep cash flowing forever. Or you can burr the buy it, rehab it, refinance it and repeat it, you know, or you can take that process and refinance all your investors' money back out and then own the property. That is what Ryan has figured out. Mind blown in a short, short time period by just understanding some first principles, first principles, meaning things that really move the needle and create true value in the commercial real estate space. So each one of those overlapping each other, acquiring a tenant, getting a contract, and and I kind of glossed over those. Those are all difficult things individually, but they represent significant ways to add value to a commercial real estate deal in a very, very short time period. And you have that optionality. You go, you do that, you communicate, you put it in escrow. You blast it out to a bunch of potential tenants and brokers and other people, and you get no response. You send it off to a private equity group is here's what I'm looking to do, and I'm going to sell it off. And what would you uh, buy it for? And they say, well, you know what? If it was fully stabilized, fully rented out and improved, we buy it for $5 million. Well, you're already in contract with it for $5 million and you have to fix it up, and you have to get to a a tenant. So you may just say, whoa, this is a bad deal. So this is how someone with not a lot of experience 
can get into a deal and really position themselves to become financially free in one deal in weeks or months worth of time that may unlock the potential of 10, 20, 40, 50 years worth of lifetime of financial freedom just by doing some small actions and understanding this one-way versus two-way principle and concept. I mean, honestly, it's been uh, a week that I've been processing this and, and I've probably reiterated this to multiple people. And it is a concept that is truly, truly amazing. It will unlock so many things and it can be applicable to decisions about, do I want to move across the country? Well, if you're doing remote work, give it a go. What happens if you don't like it? You can spend six months, you can put a year over there and decide, hey, I don't like this. I want to move back. Again, there are so many things that I, I start seeing that have my own personal limitations, my own historical thoughts that are holding myself back that this can apply to. And it is just one of those crazy, awesome nuggets that I picked up. And from the Catching Knives podcast, I hope that you listen to the episode. Ryan goes into other details, other aspects of things. Again, I'm just super excited to follow his path being 25 years old. The fact that he's now not doing this full time, the commercial real estate thing and investing into startups. I'm excited what he's going to do in another year from now. So Again, this is me, just what I've learned, picked up out of this, and I hope this is adding some value to you for me to condense this down instead of an hour episode. This is me rambling and, and creating some, some concepts, um, at least how I interpret it, and they landed in my own head. Appreciate it. Have a fantastic day. God bless you, and happy investing. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.RealEstate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. Once again, www.catchkniveswithans.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.